This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bald Move Television Podcast, where the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And we are, as we have been for many, many weeks now, uh, delving into the final season of David Simon's The Deuce. This is for episode 306, This Trust Thing. Mm-hmm. It is trust thing that we got going on here. Uh, Jim, what did you think of this episode? It- this is uh, this episode has maybe uh, definitely the defining scene of the season, but f- one of the best scenes in the entire series. Uh, Eileen, sort of you know proxy explaining her the the way she grew up and some of the events in her life is truly outstanding. Maggie Gyllenhaal just crushes that scene in in in. <laughs> You know, the way she has through this entire series. I was just thinking back that, like, over the years, hasn't she always yes. had, like, this kind of episode six, seven, like, That scene with her brother from monologue. season one just fucking floored me. Well, and her going hard after, uh, wasn't it Rodney? Uh, yeah, you know, the yeah. Just trying to kind of, like, own her after she got took that beating. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, she's, she does a lot of anchoring work on the show. And then, obviously, the, the Tommy Rudy thing. Man... I knew I knew things were about to explode. I just didn't really know what was going to happen there, and I think this is the worst possible outcome. <laughs> yeah, because now it's like it feels like a lot of other outcomes are preordained. They could be. Um, uh, well, I mean, we'll talk to the, about that when we get there. But yeah, uh, and the the way they in this episode, I'm like, maybe Rudy will do just enough. Maybe he will have enough chips to push them all in on one, you know. And then, of course, he didn't. Yeah, uh, and uh, it, it's it, it was tough. It was tough. There's a, honestly, a, I felt like um, there's a lot of interesting inversions. Like I thought it was interesting, uh, you know, Lori's old pimp Cece, like infamously cut a bitch in mm-hmm. season one. It was really gruesome, and then Lori like cuts cuts a bitch <laughs> in this episode. Uh-huh. And the way he's like, "You cut me," I thought that was interesting. Kind of like her turning the tables, but on the other hand, it's also a lot of like impotent shows of power. Yeah, uh, like her smoke, you know, like taking her one last cigarette as she's completely retreating on all of their fronts. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a lot of um, what was another one like like Rudy, Rudy slapping uh, Longo around. Another display of someone who is already past the prime, over the hill, no longer useful. To the economic system that they're participating in, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so much, so much thematic stuff uh, and great acting and uh, great storytelling and writing. Uh, do we want to talk more in generalities? Or we want to dig right into this episode. I want to get right into it. Before we continue in the podcast, a little bit of bald move housekeeping. Last Friday, Netflix released the Vince Gilligan directed and written El Camino, a little Breaking Bad epilogue for one Jesse Pinkman. As you probably know, we have every single second of Breaking Bad footage podcasted for posterity, so you know we had to gear up for one last ride with Jesse. 
That podcast dropped this Monday, so if you're jonesing for some of that old-school Breaking Bad meth, give it a snort or a smoke. You know, whatever. Over on Pickle Me This, we're hard on the Rick and Morty Season 3 grind we release every Tuesday. This week, we're talking rest and Rick-laxation with the author of The Science of Rick and Morty, Matt Brady. Check it out. The American Horror Story Season 9, 1984 season continues. Cecily and I are covering that. It's honestly on an epic... uh, unprecedented run of awesomeness if you like 1980 slasher uh films if you have nostalgia for 80s horror i really encourage you to check it out the great thing about american horror is you can just jump in whenever because it's all uh it's all an anthology so if that sounds like a good time check that out on the american horror story podcast feed mr robots coming back coming back strong and we've got the final season coverage with episodes also released on Wednesdays. Cecil and I are also doing this thing we call the Cinematic Spooktacular over on the Bald Movies feed. Uh, this is the third one that we've done. Uh, we're subtitling it to Search for Spook. We had the first one drop last week. Another one will come out on October 20th, and then the final one, October 30th, Halloween Eve. On the Bald Movies feed, we're also covering Zombieland 2 Double Tap this week. And finally, we have a new feature. We just crossed a major milestone. Five years of lunches with Jim and Aaron for our club members. And to celebrate every Thursday, we're releasing a lunch out of that archive for free to the public, which we're calling Lunch with Jim and Aaron Reheated. If you've ever been curious about what a lunch is all about, check it out. Plus, it's a fun little window in bald move history. I used to have hair, kind of, on top of my head. I was trying. Uh, check that out in on uh, baldmove.com. Okay, well, I'm going to start off with the topic of Eileen. As you mentioned, it's probably the the juiciest uh, storyline with, and there's a lot of juice in these here storylines. <laughs> uh, it opens with her like kind of watching this waitress work for tips, and kind of like in this gross and obvious way that still to this day, if you're a waitress or a bartender or any woman really that works in a hospitality related field or any woman in the world uh, can relate to this. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a linchpin moment for her because she realizes the, the, who's the, she there to meet? Um, uh, it looks like maybe an actor for her new uh, was it, film. Was it that? I couldn't tell if it's that or like a, she was meeting for like a cinematographer or like a photographer, director of photography, because she's talking about a look yeah, that she could, wants to give. Um, but this woman helps her appreciates like, you know, like there's two ways you can do this. Like you can either be with the woman or you can be watching her in this kind of voyeuristic way. And this like watching this this waitress and in inside out, I think like cements that what she wants to do is not tell a story about women misbehaving in porn but just women in the world yeah and that discussion she had with women against porn last last episode two episodes ago uh i think she's been thinking about that you know yeah. that stuck with her and then when she sees you know that this is sort of not just a story about the women in porn this is also a story about women in general she sort of generalizes her entire film yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah, she, she she uses this phrase at the end of this episode about um, like not letting the audience off the hook. Mm, she's like, yeah. you know, if I was doing it this way, I'm letting the audience off the hook. And it's almost like she's what she's realized is what she's trying to do is fine, but it's like, you know, what is the target and what is the emotional reaction from the audience? Is the audience like, oh, those crazy fucking women, mm-hmm. look at those whores do their thing, or is it going to be, oh my God, oh my God, something has to be done. Yeah. It uh, looks like she's leaning towards the ladder. Um, 
it's unfortunate. So I, I don't know how much you want to go into this where she's got this actors and she's trying to walk them through this scene. They're doing a rehearsal and the one actor is uh, unable to kind of get into the character's head. And Eileen kind of takes her and gives her this backstory, which is clearly about her, about, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how much you want to actually talk about the, the, the nuts and bolts of the scene um, because it is the centerpiece, but it's also just really, really hard to, to walk through. Yeah, and it stands on like, its own. Like, you see yeah. that scene, you know what's going on, you feel it. Yeah. Um, all I can say is I hope that HBO submits it for the Baldies because it'll <laughs> probably win. Well, I have some pull with those judges. <laughs> you do. And okay. I want to say that it's gonna, it's it's gonna have, uh, it's gonna have a strong, strong pull, uh, strong, strong polling with at least fifty percent of the, uh, the the voters. <laughs> um, I thought the really interesting things are she points about like you know her father and his relationship with the rules and mm. like how yeah. you got to follow these rules and there's these rule and there's like some rules are more important than others. But she has this experience where she, you know, breaks some rules, but, you know, she's going to hold these other rules sacrosanct, but her father doesn't. Yeah. Um, and then abandons her over it, mm-hmm. which she and she really walks through the cascading realizations she had in that moment about, you know, what uh, the, the the like the lack of unconditional love and support. And it's um, well, that, that, that part of it is personally dead like as much as paul calling his father in the last episode was personally devastating this scene is personally devastating not because i you know was a teenage whore or anything uh uh, or or prostitute um but because you know some of those very same things applied to my relationship with my family like those that perception of who you are the rules right these that they trump the unconditional love that you're supposed to have from a family which it's interesting to me because in one of those scenes when she's talking to Adam, she says, like, if you don't have your family, you've got nothing uh-huh. uh, or you're alone in this world. And she's kind of sort of pushing him away at the same time. It's she's not. She's trying to teach him a lesson. She's trying not to just give him be a bad mother and give him everything he wants. And like, but but there's sort of a dichotomy there that she's embracing both sides of. Yeah, it's it's almost like. Because that's it's complicated, I which I think about. is the best television, right? It is complicated because I think she's simultaneously saying, uh, "I'm alone in the world, yeah, and the world hasn't treated me very kindly." Mm-hmm. And she's talking to her son, who, in context, is I think you're supposed to understand is too high or discombobulated or just you know whatever to attend his own grandmother's funeral. The the woman yeah. who raised him in many ways like his mother, uh, and she's trying to say that maybe we could not do this we could start yeah. fresh we could but you can't also but, but is it is a 18 year old or whatever going to get that message that's no that's the tough thing like right. being because she's not her delivering father, adult right? messages to children is a hard thing to do right i mean i don't think she's her father i think if adam ever like sobered up and came to his senses and was down on his luck and needed a place to stay that um you know she would as, as long as he's you know going to start playing by the the really important rules that she would let him back into <laughs> her life and that I, that's no. there where i was trying to get at the fact that like yeah our experiences with um you know there's rules in any religion but like one of the big rules is like you know love should kind of cover all and there's forgiveness and when you right. find out that that's actually not the case like your per- parents personal reputation or embarrassment is much more important to them than like these so-called golden rules mm-hmm. um it's tough. I mean, uh, that relationship is just totally shattered. Yeah. 
There's, yeah. There's not, there's, it's very hard to come back from that, which we see sort of with, I think, Melissa too, in a way. So I guess like that's the thing that's a tragedy of Candy is she knows what does and doesn't work. Yeah. And she, I guess, is going to put her trust in her son that he can figure it out and that if he ever does, that she'll be there with him and not in the way that like Melissa's father was there for him or it's, <laughs> it's there with judgment and questions and, and how dare you embarrass me, but there with like, yeah, you got out and you got kicked in the face and maybe yeah. you learned a few things and like it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what she wished her father had said when he'd screwed up. Yeah. So yeah. she'd screwed up rather. Uh, um, there's also the moment that she has with Harvey at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Harvey sees the, her give this like soul searing speech to this actor and it moves him. And this is on the back of him giving her $20,000 to kind of film this thing on the strength of, I guess, looking at the script or, or, or whatever. Um, and he goes in for the kiss. Mm-hmm. And this is something that Alan Suppenwall has been tracking for the last couple of weeks. I guess I never. I have too. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't. I didn't pick up on the fact that Harvey had feelings for her beyond the professional kind of like, like esteem. Just been a uh, look here or there, huh? Um, after certain events, and I, I don't. I don't recall exactly when it happened, but yeah, a couple episodes ago, I think I picked up on this, and then here we are. Uh, and I don't really know how I feel about it. It's. I I think like it has been a long time coming. Uh-huh. Uh Eileen clearly is not super surprised by it and she's not right. resistant to it. At least not entirely. But everyone involved knows this is a giant mistake from the moment it happens. I think right. so. I think so. Because this is like you can't like this woman just or, gave this or, whole speech. Or th- that wasn't a mistake, but mistakes are about to be made. Huh. <laughs> mistakes are very much about to be made. But I think you're right. Like there, there is an element of this that is like, is this pity, right? Is this yeah. is this some kind of feeling of pity for Eileen that he right. is now feeling like he needs to come in and and save her or something from that, or or is this respect for her as a creator? Because I could also see that. Like he sees how how beautiful of a, a movie she's writing here, right? And he has a an actual respect of that. I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's like. I don't. I don't know either. I, the way I took it is, it's one of these things where, at the worst, he's guilty of a read the room asshole kind of mistake. Like, yeah, this woman has just opened her soul and you know revealed something that is beautiful and vulnerable. And your first response as a man is, after you've given her a big sum of money, is. <laughs> <laughs> I find this attractive uh-huh. and it validates my respect for you. And now I'm going to kind of make this your problem when I know you're already dating someone else and you've already mm-hmm. turned down money. Like if, if, if you're going to fuck the guys you're dating to get money for a movie, you would have done it. Th- hey, it's like mm-hmm. that, that's, that's, that's the thing. And you know, I, I think that's what something that Candy's saying about the price tag that all women have in their bodies at all time yeah. is part of that because like men's reaction to, they find a woman attractive is to, you know, again, make it their problem. Even it, it's, it's one thing if you're sitting at a bar and you're both cruising and you find an attractive woman, you hit up a conversation, fine, whatever. But like, you know, you hit on your employees, you hit on your mm-hmm. uh, babysitters, you hit on your 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 daughter's friends. You, you do stuff like that. That's where everything gets all fucko. And I think yeah. that's what Harvey's done to their relationship. Yeah, could be. Uh, especially, you know, if this happened like five years ago, I don't think it's the same response. But like, you know, mm-hmm. Candy's 
Arlene's done a lot of development just this season, mm-hmm. um, let alone in the past three. So <sighs> I don't. I, I'm, I'm suspecting she's going to find a way to make the money with to make the movie without his money now. But I don't know what that does to their professional relationship. I did like. There's not a lot of. Uh, there's not a lot of. Um, what do you call that? Uh, comedic elements in in the deuce but i did like him completely berating this director for <laughs> fucking up the lighting and like uh-huh. him having her him touch touch her him to get just an ounce of her directorial cheap mm. directorial skills um and i also really liked um we we, we had talked about the other i guess thing going on uh, that her mother died yeah and there's 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 her at her funeral and she's looking she's got harv and one arm and hank on the other and they're kind of supporting her and there's the the priest is saying that you go you look how to look to favor for those who are in mourning and she looks across at her family and says amen and then moves to despite all the terrible things that we know that's gone on between her and her father mm-hmm. you know she tries to give him a message of love and acceptance and kindness like you know she could say a million things in that moment but she says you really loved mom and she knew that mm-hmm. um do you had do we know why her aunt's got so much uh such such an axe to grind against her or is it just that's the stock her dad came from because i'm thinking god yeah, what a bitch to to get in the way between a father and his daughter during the death of the mother and wife <laughs> like because you're yeah. his sister look at, i mean get the fuck out of here all right, let's move on to the topic of i've threw all these three together because they're kind of intertwined vincent abby and rudy oh okay uh so vincent demands a a meeting well he doesn't demand he engineers to have a meeting with rudy alone and he's got a gun in his upper drawer and i got the Mm -hmm. distinct feeling that if rudy sits down and doesn't give him the answers that he that jives with vincent's worksheet he might just plug him then and there yeah i why i like so so he's trying to feel him out to see because he's not at this point trying to see who killed Frankie. He knows who killed Frankie. Mm-hmm. He's trying to see if who knew, like who who, like if there are any more people need to die. Who did? Yeah, who I guess he's to trying him. to see if yeah, the whole drug thing was Rudy's idea or. And they make a they make a whole point about like how loyal Vincent is, and I think mm-hmm. that's where part of this is coming from. Like I have been nothing but loyal to these 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 guys, and if they're going to fucking lie to me about the death of my brother, then that's going to change how I feel about it. But I think he, yeah. it's kind of immaterial because Rudy dies at the end of this episode is going to be, going to be super bad for Vincent. I assume so, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I thought that was weird. It's like, man, he's going to shoot him in his fucking peep show theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes home and you can tell like just how fucking emotionally exhausted he has, uh, he is by crossing these moral boundaries, by having all this distance between him and Abby. Um, and he goes and falls asleep, gun in hand. Um, there's all this friction between him and Abby. Uh, Abby finds this gun later and confronts Vincent with him. And he tries to pull... Oh, well, it's not he tries. This is like a fight that's been five years in the making, right? Mm. Um, he doesn't try to deny anything, but he does try to turn it into like, well, you've got all your causes and you got all your fucking meetings. You've got all the women that you're financing, their art funding. Mm. But it's a distraction between like... Their relationships always worked on this trust thing. And... She can't trust Vincent to keep him safe. Like, why do you got a gun? Who killed your brother? Or to not lie to her. Like, or not to lie to each <laughs> yeah. other. Right. She, he straight up lied to her in the last episode. I'm, 
Yeah, and, and, and it's continuing to lie to her. Like Vincent pointing the finger and saying, "Oh, you're never there for me" is hilarious because you know he's always in the clubs and always running his stuff too. It's like neither of, this relationship has not felt good for a long time, in my opinion. So what? So what do we think about how it is finally or you know the final disposition of this relationship as we head into the next episode? I, I'll say I didn't quite understand it. Like Vincent goes and he begs to have On Abby back that- and and tells her like I love you. You're the thing I've always wanted. I don't believe Vincent. <laughs> I think he wants his ex wife and his family back. Yeah. But he probably can't have that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So the, is Abby his version of settling? Like that's that's <sighs> fucked up. I don't know, man. I I look at this and it's like one of those things where it doesn't make any sense, but it also does. Like I understand why Vincent is doing this because I understand oh, his yeah. character. I understand what he's been through, mm-hmm. and he is scared. And he needs some support and stability, and Abby's in a much better position to give that to him than his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, but but he's also lying to her because he's not going to get rid of that gun. They're not going to be safe. Uh, I mean, he's putting a lot yeah. of faith in Rudy to to to, mm-hmm. to be the shield that protects him from all this. And uh, and it turns out that faith was not misplaced. It's just no. that Rudy himself didn't have the the juice for it. Yeah, Rudy, in my opinion, should have taken out Tommy. Like I know that's that's a that's a very different thing in their world, right? Than like no, no, you're right. You're not. You're not right. Most crime organizations, but like, come on. Uh, so let's let's talk about this. Um, Rudy learns from Vinny that Tommy Longo is the one that kind of uh, was the drug connect, and importantly, also cut Rudy out of all this action. Mm-hmm. And Rudy didn't know that, and we knew, and and Vincent believes him, so he gets out of that meeting. Then he goes to meet with Carmine. And uh, this guy's wanting vengeance for his boy. And I thought Rudy was a stand-up guy. He's like, he, first he made this yeah. out about like, yeah, yeah, I got this earner. I've already lost an earner. Now he wants me to have another earner for his mm-hmm. coked-up son. But then he gets to the brass tacks. He's like, no, this isn't fair. My guy's always been right. He's been loyal. Uh, this cokehead killed his bro- twin brother. He does what any man would do. So he puts his own seal. He's like, you know what? He actually asked me for permission on the hit, and I gave it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also notably he's pretty frosty with Tommy here too, even though he doesn't necessarily confront him. Yeah, he all but just like shoulder checks him as he walks out of the place. Yeah, so I don't know the gangster rules, and also the gangster rules are kind of like the pirate, you know, uh, accords. They're like loose guidelines. But can Tony, this guy, come back on Vince now that he's killed Rudy? Because if Rudy takes responsibility and they clip Rudy. I, d- I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the actual rules, but I would assume, yeah, the, 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 it changes the equation because Rudy said, he went to the mat for for Vincent and said, it's on me. So now that he's dead, maybe this whole thing needs to die with him, but yeah, I don't, but my, my uh, Tommy's, thing is... Uh, Tommy's a loose cannon sometimes. Right. Yeah, so I want to talk about this death, but I want to get, I want to still spend a little bit of time on this Vincent thing because... I mean, my understanding is that's probably the rule. That's kind of like the code of honor. Mm-hmm. But there's no like who's going to tell uh, who's going to tell this guy what what's his name Tony? Who's going to tell Tony that he can't have vengeance against the guy that actually killed his boy? Yeah. Well, you already killed Rudy. Do yeah, but Rudy didn't pull the trigger. Well, Rudy gave permission. Yeah, but who's going to protect Vincent now? Tommy Longo, I guess, is probably going to inherit this crew. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he gives a shit though. Yeah, he doesn't now. 
they they in the in the after credits uh like kind of behind the scenes material they talk about it and the guy who plays uh tommy mentioned that he's a sociopath and that and in a weird way that him like getting things straight between him and 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 rudy like made it okay for him it's like oh we got a clean slate now i don't have to feel bad to kill him yeah but the thing is is i felt like did you not see tears in the guy's eyes when like in between first and second shots like i felt like tommy longo you know and what part of him can be reached did feel a little sad for essentially kind of killing a father figure like he's not gonna not do it but he had complicated feelings about doing it there was i I don't know about tears but i definitely saw like a hesitation Hmm. which to me says uh, because most of the times when you see a mob hit it's just like boom boom it's over and they're out right this was very different. There was a, a, at least a flash of emotion, and yeah. I've seen this guy kill people without any hesitation at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. It's it kind of bugged me that that was that. It's it's like when I hear the old actor, I feel like misinterpret the scene. It it uh, always uh, gives me a little bit of uh, what the uh, cognitive dissonance here. Hmm. Um, I think that's uh, so. Well, let me ask you: Do you think it's possible that Tommy had the okay from the boss? from tony it's unclear because that's the thing i'm not sure if he's doing this to clean up his own act uh if it's going to be like oh yeah old man got robbed he's sitting there flashing his cash he's flashing his car he's flashing his suits and mm-hmm. he's in the wrong neighborhood the wrong time he said uh, this was on him so let's take him out I, it could literally go either way it could be something that because you know we know that carmine went to boss and talked about it so mm-hmm. it, there's definitely a vehicle that could have made that happen um To me, it seems like this is his last moment of weakness. Like he could have saved himself if he had taken time. If if instead of meeting him publicly, if he just met met him and Tommy shows up and it's a room lined with plastic and he just bang bang bangs him, Rudy probably lives to gangster another three to five years at least. Rudy's flaw, I think, is his belief in loyalty. Yeah, you know, like he he believes so strongly in loyalty, he doesn't even view this as a possibility. Once, once him and Tommy get right, that's the end of it mm-hmm. in his mind, and they go back to how they were, but not in Tommy's mind. I'm actually really surprised that Tommy. This is why I think this he had sanction on the hit because I'm actually surprised that Tommy let himself get beat about the head and neck by Rudy. If you know Rudy had so little power that uh, Tommy just felt like he could take him out himself, mm-hmm. you know um why take that abuse if well, i guess you aren't you're in public but um <laughs> yeah he clearly doesn't want anybody to know that he killed rudy because he doesn't do it in public he doesn't do it with anybody he's yeah. all alone yeah this is something he's he's not gonna go pronouncing he even has a little subterfuge where it's like oh i got one last pocket and he throws it out it's like it's he he does that like you know he 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 throws the packet to kind of like distract Rudy oh, so he can pull yeah. the gun on him and shoot him in the face like huh that's a lot of artifice I don't think he needed <laughs> you could I think you could just literally walked up and been oh hey one more thing bang yeah but there again it felt like he was working himself up to it I, I feel yeah. like it's a sanctioned hit what would you say uh, for interest sake I'll say no okay <laughs> <laughs> you fifty fifty huh yeah I am I'm very up in the air on this uh another kind of moment of levity is the Gene Chris uh but uh good cop bad cop against the real estate guys okay i get most of what's happening here they're moving on from the deuce right they've uh-huh. got they've got other streets yep. in the times square area they need to clean up mm-hmm. this this group this company that is sort of like organizing a lot of funds for the Koch uh campaigns or whatever he's using funds for mm-hmm. um 
owns these properties and so they can't really be gone after directly in the same way as that like the therapist could they're politically untouchable because they're now you're the therapist is uh, the, the, this is the difference between the truly wealthy people and the people to make a lot of money the, the powerful and the, right and and one of the tricks they play the in this country is they pit guys like the doctor against guys like bobby in the blue collar yeah. and think that you know make them think that they're the wealthy to talk about no these are the guys mm -hmm. who have bought and paid politicians and they think they're going to be able to buy and pay the laws and I think I think they run up against what they think is maybe a slightly more immovable object, which is uh, uh, a well-connected political, uh, a, a politically well-connected black cop. Uh, that uh, you know, it's like, hey, think how bad it'd be to like you know exile this guy, and they kind of like turn to each other and look and be like, well, fuck, what are we gonna do? <laughs> yeah, and they play it like I, I don't know if it's the police chief or what. Um, mm -hmm. The the guy. Who's who's calling the shots here on on whether to keep Chris in the field? Yeah, uh, is 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 the one who wants him there, and also, and this is all just totally a bluff, right? And also that I guess Koch doesn't have enough political capital at the moment because there's some uh -huh. other things going on that uh -huh. he doesn't want to risk, you know, what whatever it would look like to take to push this thing through. Yeah. So what is the end? What is the end here? Are they just trying to get the right price? Like that's what I wasn't yeah. sure about. Yeah, they're just trying because they want to hold out for top dollar. The city can't. The, okay. the, the The developers won't move in if the property price is that high. Um. So they're yeah they're just trying to they're trying to get them sell sell it low and they're saying hey this this uh this detective is going to drag you through the mud and make the do, do all the things he's done. There's nothing we can stop you. Yeah. There's nothing we can do to stop him. That's the lie. That's the only lie. Yeah. Um, and it's like I, I wondered um, it reminded me of the situation I had like a year or two ago um, I was talking to this contractor that was was helping my mother-in-law remodel her house so I couldn't couldn't fucking come back at him too much he makes this offhand comment about his 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 boy couldn't get in the Rose Holman's engineering um, program because of affirmative action oh, uh, he was okay. pretty rude about saying it and I'm like so all of the graduating class of, of of Rose Holman's engineering degree in 2024 or whatever is going to be all black dudes. Is, mm -hmm. Or is that what you're telling me? <laughs> like, is it possible? Maybe just possible that that your boy just 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 didn't make the cut. Yeah. But it's kind of like that. I I feel like that this is like the the rich people version of that is like they believe in this racist system so much that like when it cuts back to them it's like they don't even question it it's like this makes sense to them you know so gotcha. they just go along yeah. with it mm -hmm. um i don't know it's a it's a crazy scene and i love the performance i love like gene like just being like this guy <laughs> he's fucking vicious he can't yeah. be touched yeah. and then they turn back to chris and he's <laughs> got that little hand wave and uh -huh. the smug face and he's just the way he's mean mugging him the whole time they're, and they're doing it back to him it's it's great and it's it's kind of high comedy um, there's also a scene where Chris meets with Haddix and, uh, Haddix wants out of public morals because it turns out all mm -hmm. this stuff is working. There's not <laughs> yeah, much. You're putting him out of a job. You're, 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 you're cleaning up all the corruption and he's not able to get, get by on a, a policeman's salary anymore. He wants mm -hmm. a cushy job working hotel security. Well, I think to land. So, so he can land in after he finishes yeah. out his time on the force. Right. So, and he wants to be moved to Intel or the Academy. I'm not sure what yeah, he means he's by... Yeah, he's angling for something 
something easier, just something where you know he's sitting behind a desk doing. Yeah, he doesn't want to be. Nothing. He doesn't want to be beating the streets no more. Yeah. Uh, if you can't, if you can't shake the streets down, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know, it's just interesting to see Chris, who was uncorruptible. Yeah moonwalk himself into corruption mm-hmm. trying to do the right thing and at no point it's like boiling a frog at no point like does any like like he's going to look back and see that every decision he made was just like a baby step towards like there's a there's a con a continuum of like this is clearly right this is clearly wrong and some point he crossed over it and he doesn't even realize it because yeah and it- it's crazy to me that he doesn't because Jack Maple is screaming it in his face yeah. every time they meet. Like, but, but every single decision he makes is kind of like excusable because how far he's come and how close to their goal and how great it'll right. be. And, like, and as know, he each, gets farther and closer, yeah. everything, even bigger things like each become incremental more excusable. incremental lapse in judgment seems excusable, but all taken together. Uh, yeah. Um, I, it's, it's, it's great. It's great so because it explains so much of everything you see around of like mm-hmm. you know why does anyone like stand up and do something because like what what you got this is the thing you're going to stand up and fucking hit the streets on mm-hmm. but by the end you know we also see that people reach breaking points uh speaking of Paul yeah uh there's a great scene all these scenes of Paul like are I I they're they're all a mess and they're blurry because they I, I scribbled the my my I I cried and it hit the paper coming out of my ink. What kind of metaphor <laughs> am I making here? I'm reading Were my notes on a screen. physically handwriting your notes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was sobbing over them, and they got tear-streaked, Jim. I, I, I found these scenes moving. Uh, the and, tears and are finally emotional. The ink is what I'm worried about. <laughs> I, I got them on my LCD screen. It shorted out my monitor. There okay? we go. Okay, that's believable. God, I got my metaphor finally. <laughs> Finally insulated my masculine self from enough with enough humor to admit that this shit actually caught me to the core. Which, to the which core. part of it was was it? Because Every to one me, of them. it was the fucking photograph he has of night from 1981. Yeah, four years ago, where he this dude is the only guy left. Yeah, out of the entire group photo. And it's funny because like fucked up. Uh, at first, I was like, huh, this this piano player is like a notch below who I'm used to watch, who I, uh, the, the talent I'm used to watching. But then I realized he was the writer a couple episodes ago in the behind the scenes talking about how many friends uh, he's personally. So he's he's yeah, a longtime collaborator okay. with David Simon. He's he's a writer. He's not a professional actor. And I immediately forgave him for all that because he's oh, doing a good job. I didn't think he was bad. Yeah. In in in, uh, in in all things considered, but yeah, that's the kind of like shit that they've been serving this whole season of just like mm-hmm. what a tragic and unreal experience it was to 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 live through that, um, and how Paul's kind of like a little whistling pl- past the graveyard. Um, you know, it's like he doesn't want to see if he's he doesn't want to actually get tested to see, but he's assumed that he's dead. Mm-hmm. He's wanting to leave money some political causes, but he's also tired of politics, and he's kind of got that I think complaint that we've all had at one point in a li- in our lives if we've made a decision to get like you know involved is that like God, why should we have to? We pay people to do <laughs> these things. Yeah. And I thought uh, Carl's response uh, back was like, "How many times did you see?" Your your boyfriend in this play about standing up the you know about concentration camps and Nazis and mm-hmm. you you still say that shit uh, and his advice was like uh, whether you die or not uh, when you go out make a noise because if people can look away they will 
Yeah. And you see that in so many things, you know, uh, if people can look away and, you know, people complain about protesting, people complain about demonstrations, people complain about things getting violent at them. But like if these gay men had just gone silently into the graves, um, you know, the AIDS crisis has been a lot worse. We wouldn't be so close to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, finding a cure. We've essentially, I think, assuming you have this, the, the, the financial wherewithal, we have a, a, essentially a, a cocktail that you can take and stave off AIDS forever, uh, which is remarkable. And it wouldn't have happened. And none of the progress we'd had in, in gay rights would have happened had these guys not taken to the streets. Um, and he, he does choose to get active. Um, he goes to Abby and entrusts all of his property to him, to her and says, if I die, I want you to liquidate it all and give it to the GMHC, which is the Gay Men's Health Crisis, uh, which is, uh, was founded in this era to, you know, raise awareness and provide health care to men with AIDS and still active to this day. Um, it's funny, though, because Rudy getting clipped is kind of sh overshadows this, too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they'd have a piece of that club. Yeah, and the baths. I, I assume. All yeah, of piece it. Of, he, private piece piece of all that stuff. Yeah. So I wonder if they would just like pressure Abby not to sell because it's still making money, or if they just want their cut of it. I'm I'm not sure exactly uh, how that's going to, to screw things up, but it's going to. Mm -hmm. um, what did you make of the scene uh, where Gene meets Paul at one of the bathhouses uh, and is, is flirting with him? And yeah, but it's also just a you know a, a meeting of old friends again, like because they apparently hadn't seen each other in a while. Do people? This is something that Alan uh, Seppenwall wrote in his uh, Stones review. Um, do people know about Gene working for the Koch uh, campaign? Koch, 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 Koch. Okay, Koch campaign. Yeah, it's not like Coke. It's not a hard ch. Uh, it's... <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Okay. I can't. I can't make these jokes. All right. Uh, <laughs> where were we? Uh, what do we make of this? Do people know about Jean's really? Because like everyone is furious yeah. at the mayor. It's a good um, question. So 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 I thought I thought the Paul's up to something. Like somehow um, hmm. that Paul is going to help Jean appreciate that he is a part of this community as much as he doesn't want to be. Um. I had the idea that like Paul might try to deliberately infect him to get him kind of on board. Duh, that'd be fucked up. That'd be fucked up and it'd be some it'd be uh that'd be that'd be a spicy way to take the story. For sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe too spicy. I I mean first to have a have a human plea with him, you know? Just like uh -huh. just like have a conversation with the man before yeah. you go give him AIDS to get him involved in your cause i hate i'm just saying there was some there was significant looks and there's this whole like hey it's <laughs> okay. as long as we're safe right and you know the same way i saw oh uh frankie probably gonna die rudy probably gonna die like uh -huh. I, I feel like i'm picking up on these threads and there's 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 something to it now you might be right you might um, be right i might be jumping way way to some other conclusion and they're hinting at something else but I don't know. To me, this I read nothing more from this scene than a, a meeting of two old friends who had a lot weighing on them. Because the other thing is that it could go, I guess, is if um, you know Paul doesn't know his relationship to the campaign and he finds out later, it's just something to be a massive betrayal. 
So it could just yeah. be like, you know, if they yeah. eventually have feelings for each other, then it's, you know, that's the fulcrum that he, because something's got to get Gene into the game. Something's got to get Gene into something mm-hmm. besides just cleaning up the streets. Uh, or I, I don't, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, you I, could, I yeah, know that Gene just has a lot of political power in general mm-hmm. and, and maybe try and figure out a way to use that to the advantage of the gay community. Yeah. Well, and there's also, I guess it's, it's nice just to fill out that like, you know, it's not like everyone in the gay community are heroes. You know, there's plenty sure. of collaborators, sellouts, people looking the other mm-hmm. way, people wanting to protect their position and their health because uh, it's, you know, it's uh, it's 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 not their problem. The people weren't careful. I, I, I maybe that's what they're trying to get along or to, to communicate there, too. I just had a lot, a lot of question marks um, with their, mm-hmm. their meeting there. Um, and then Paul decides after he gets his uh, kind of last will and testament settled with Abby that he's going to take to the streets yeah. and joins the fights. There's cops that kind of provoke a violent response with a few uh, unkind words to the protesters, and Paul winds up in jail. Mm-hmm. But looks like he's significantly less haunted yeah. than the the beginning of this episode. Yeah, because he feels like he is making a noise, yeah. right? Yeah. And I, like I said, I'm going to leave out the parts that I probably couldn't recap without uh, getting weepy because uh, all the <laughs> stuff about his, you know, the, the the ritual of giving all the old photos and the weeks before a person dies. Um, there's actually a lot of things yeah, I thought with, that, with, that burial, stuff with, Abby. with burial customs that were kind of moving. Like I appreciated like Harvey and Hank, you know, in, introducing Eileen to the Jewish concept of like laying stones and sitting Shiva mm-hmm. um, and uh, this, this, this custom of everybody and it's something that like paul is like not upset with but kind of exasperated with like you know these people telling me things about my my lover that i don't already know but it's probably i'm gonna forget yeah yeah and but but also like then after that's already sweet and touching he says it's kind of like a you know tears in the rain moment like what happens when i die yeah. Like, you know, like we're, we're, we're treating each other as like these holders of memories, these vessels of recollection. But what happens when, you know, you, you, you lose entire like branches of the trees of these communities when when these mm-hmm. people are dying? Uh, um, I hope Paul gets a happy ending. So do I, man. I I feel I like have no idea I, what I they're feel, gonna do. But. I feel like by do stands they're almost te- they're almost they're almost teasing it. Like the fact that he's so certain that. It, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's the the inverse of uh, like Frankie. You know, it's like he's so certain he's going to die uh, that I almost think he's not gonna. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. They they could uh, punch me in the gut again too. Do you want to talk about Bobby? Okay, and and Black Frankie and the parlors and like just kind of all of it. Bobby's management woes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tommy Longo. Uh, Bobby's just trying to like, hey, you know, I'm light, I'm light, because I got some problems with my employees, and and uh, Tommy Longo's like, we'll fix it. And then he goes and bellows at uh, the the, uh, the 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 girl that works the bar and uh, Doctor Frank. Uh, you got your demand, fix it. So Doctor Francis goes fixing. He mm-hmm. goes and meets with the the uh, uh, the sex workers that have gone run off, and they've set up shop at the hotels. And he's like, "Hey, I, I, this line is like, you know, I had the pussy, Bobby had the beepers. Now I have both the pussy and the beepers." <laughs> And she says, you're taking too much and doing too little for it. And he goes, what? Well, we provided the transportation and the security. She's like, I got taxes and hotel security, and I'm paying mm-hmm. them a fraction of what we paid you. Uh, yeah, and then he goes back to Bobby and says, we got to <laughs> negotiate with these girls. I, what leverage do they have? What possible offer can they make here? 
I the only thing I can think of is they can provide like the really upscale access to the really upscale high rolling because he said we've got contacts with the, we've got the contacts with these like high rolling Wall Street yeah. types. Mm-hmm. So like you know yes you might take more of the money if you're an independent contractor but you'll have more money if you work for me. Yeah, and the those way, Wall Street guys have the money. The way Bobby views this as a union man, where he's like, why don't these women shut up and take their 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 instruction from me mm-hmm. uh and then uh when they point out it's like well didn't they just unionize on their own isn't this what one of those job actions you guys are always talking about and he instantly <laughs> comprehends where he's at <laughs> and smashes that mirror i thought it was so fucking funny uh-huh. um but yeah that's it this is uh this is uh david simon explaining why unions are a thing why we should support them why you need strong to make the economy work and yep. we'll see if people listen and if you want more of that go watch this actor in season two of the wire <laughs> yes yes because uh, that's all about that stuff yep um okay Lori. this is the last kind of uh check checklist uh or, or character we need to check into um so she's meeting with greg in their kind of sad little production offices that he's got running i think that he like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, things that concern me about his operation. Number one, his office looks a lot bigger than he needs. Number two, uh, there's dudes just standing around playing golf in the background. Mm-hmm. I bet they're taking salary. Yeah, and he's explaining to Lori how like oh, it's just a rough environment. No one's wanting to make porn because there's a glut in the market, and it's all about distribution. And uh, we just have to survive. And you got to go out there and. And ominously show them something they haven't seen before. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to go look up when the first gangbang was, but I got distracted <sighs> by Mr. Robot. Surely it's before 1985. Maybe it's like one of those things where it starts in the like rain cutter or raincoat gutter area of porn. Yeah. And then it eventually like the, the star performers are forced to do it because that's what the market wants. Right. It's like Frankie's amateur stuff. Right? Yeah. And then everything kind of goes toward amateur. Yeah. And, and she and has feel. the scene where he says, she says, can we buy back my movies, start a mail order business and I can do autograph guys, a, a, a model that we know from Frankie would absolutely work. Uh huh. And he just pushes a tray of Coke towards her. Yeah, yeah. It felt to me like okay when he talks about break even, uh, Lori is his break even, and mm-hmm. then the other people he's got on his roster are the the profit, and they're not they're not up and running yet, and so he's kind of leaning on her and just keeping her numb and and out of the loop and and just trying to use the last bits of her career to spawn off an entirely new company with the first bits of other people's careers. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of fucked. It's he's treating her like a pimp. Yeah, like the, Lori's his bottom bitch, and I, mm-hmm. I think it's this. Was it was it the Deuce or some other movie I watched where they talk about um, this pimp that wrote this book, and he talks about like you know a seasoned pimp can look at a woman and know how many fucks she's got in her. And I think it was the I th- Wire. I, thought, I think it was the show. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was like it was from like one of the the pimps talking in season one, mm-hmm. and like Greg is sized up Lori and knows that she's kind of running at the end uh, of her rope and he's mm-hmm. already got the younger blonder bigger titted version of Lori ready to take her place and she has got he's and he's used kind of what what little pathetic nest egg that she had built up she had 20 30 grand yeah completely plowed that into this probably failing you know production company mm-hmm. but if it succeeds it's not going to be you know on on Lori's product 
Um, no, that's a shame of it. Like I, when I when she's saying "Give me my money back," like I very much felt like she wanted to go do the thing she said, yeah. just buy herself back from this fucking industry, yeah, and and become her own brand, and that's not possible now. Yeah, I wonder how did she end up with Greg? Like, why did did Kiki uh, steer her towards that? Is it something Wasn't that she felt like, like she a needed? Party Is it... or something they met at? Like last season, because I'm thinking like if she had, remember. if she had done like an Eileen, but that's you know there you're talking about like you know you're blaming a person for trusting the wrong people, oh instead sure, of yeah. the the system that's that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's tricking them and grinding them up uh, the, them up. Um, there's all kinds of sketchy shit like um, since there's so many cop raids in the L.A. area, they're doing this like extreme uh, secrecy. So Lori is forced to get into the world's first bang bus where she gets in and she sees there's like there's 12 dudes and her and that's her first indication something's going to go wrong. And it's also wrote in my notes, more enforcement equals less safety for women because now instead of being driven to a set where she knows where she's at and she can get out of there if she needs to, mm-hmm. she's going to be whisked to a location that she doesn't even fucking, if she didn't have a, they didn't provide her a phone. The only difference between what happened to her and like rape is that she had a phone call where agent mm-hmm. kind of like managed the situation and feelings for her. Yeah. But it's pretty I mean, Jesus Christ, she shows up here and no one takes her seriously. Like it's just everyone knows, yeah, you're going to kick a fuss and you're going to make some delays, you're going to smoke your cigarette, but you're also going to do this gangbang. Uh, because what else are you going to do? Hmm. I mean, the I, director, I I never the felt- makeup girl even was kind of like, you know, like crossing her arms and like, okay, let's, you know, it's like no one, Kiki, no one took her seriously on this set. Yeah. I mean, that's been true for the last, this entire season. Right. She's been getting pushed around. End result is Lori fires Kiki. Uh, she goes home to Greg and he's fucking the younger, blonder, bigger titted version of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, she does the thing where she cuts him. And as he she's walking out into the night, he says, uh, I made you. Where the fuck are you going to go? First of all, like it's so identical to what Cece screamed at her. <laughs> and yeah. the fact that like, how did you make her? She literally moved out here on the back of her making her own career. Yeah, she made you, dude. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. if your company ever does anything, it's because of her. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I don't know where the fuck she's going to go. Because mm-hmm. I think, as from my understanding, is she has zero money. Yep. Do <sighs> you think she's going to end up back on the deuce? She could. I mean, that's the way to, like, if you got two episodes to wrap things up and you want to get everybody in the same location, um, I don't yeah. know. Because it like the thing is is like I feel like if it wasn't for her earlier experience going out to New York that would be the logical play to make but I felt like she I don't know she's in a different spot than mm. the last time she went to do, the, the to the Deuce yeah she's definitely desperate now yeah but um, I don't know maybe maybe her and Eileen can work together Eileen will have a part for her in this well, movie. see I thought that's what was gonna happen last time but yeah it didn't well, she went to Vincent. Well, yeah. she went to Vincent's dumbass instead of Eileen's. So, oh, I forgot. Yes, Scott. we have. I the, there's a miscellaneous section where there's just a few bullet points for characters that we get like a scene or two on. Yeah. Uh, let's talk Big Mike, Doctor Mike, Doctor Michael. Yeah, he's got HIV. Yeah. Um. And there's not much they can do about it at this point. Uh, why doesn't he say anything to Vincent? He just kind of walks out of the club. Like, I get it. It's a big development in your life and or death, but like. I thought you and Vincent were pretty tight. It probably just seems so pointless. Yeah. 
um you know how how is vincent going to explain how's he going to explain he you know he might be embarrassed to tell vincent mm-hmm. about like his experiences and you know like that because like that's the thing that always hung in the air is like oh, isn't this a, a gay man's disease and mm-hmm. how does how does uh big mike see himself in the kind of queer world he moves around in and even if he how he sees himself uh, you know lines up with how he actually is is he going to want to tell that to other men that he respects um is it just pointless from like you know we've had this kind of like big extended adolescent fucking around with this guy and now i'm dying um and i know how it's going to end do i want to waste any breath on <laughs> this bullshit mm-hmm. i it i don't know it's it's interesting and it's it's hard to say because he doesn't give vince or us anything no i don't know where he's going i don't know if we're ever gonna see him again i assume not at this point he looked like he aged 10 years since yeah. since uh frankie's death man they really uh they really did it up on the makeup on him uh but that's that is that sucks and is surprising i wouldn't have guessed um you know at the beginning of the season that uh that because he's you know big mike's always been invincible mm-hmm. um let's talk about melissa or margaret as she's calling herself now um she comes home to her true home uh back to new york city uh, she said 10 minutes into New Jersey, she knew that she'd made a mistake because her dad intellectually knew the things he had to do to have a fresh start with her, but he just can't move past the questions of why and how. And he couldn't how move could past you. it in those 10 minutes that I spent with him in that car ride back. <laughs> Come on. It's been a couple months, though, to be fair. Like, I think in Showtime, like, every episode fl- skips okay. forward a month or two. Okay, so she knew in 10 minutes yeah, it wasn't yeah, going to work, yeah. but then she spent a couple months She there. still tried, because also Reg okay. has gone from covering... That's the other thing. Like Reg has gone from covering for Todd to needing to be covered for himself. Yeah. Because, of course, you got to work until the day you fucking die. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's nobody looking out for you. They, they talk yeah. about this concept of dry drunk, which I've never heard of before. That the, the, it somehow lingers with you? I It's like, I, I guess it's like, a, it's a, something that they throw around a lot in 12-step programs to describe a person who has stopped drinking but has not made any other life choices. Like, they're still uh, hanging around the same people. They're still hanging around. Yeah, they're just relying on their willpower to keep white, them I guess, like, of, white-knuckling it. So, yeah, like, they still, yeah. like, they're not sleeping right. They're not healthy. They're they're worried, and, and they're in that they're 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 setting themselves up for failure they're because in in all other respects they're acting like an addict um and it's interesting a person like because we know that his her her father also was trying to get sober he's like two years sober but like white knuckling the concept of being a parent (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i yeah being a decent yeah seeing that your children are adults and they can make mistakes just like you and Mm -hmm. Uh, I I thought it was an interesting concept to apply to him. Uh, then we see a scene of like Loretta obsessing over her makeup, like she she gets dolled up and then she wipes some of it off. You're like, what's going on? But then we find out she's meeting uh, her sweetheart's mom for the first time. Yeah, why do I care about this? I this scene didn't seem to need to be in the episode to me. I don't. I mean, so like, I think it's nice. As I related to this, like when I when I got out of the cult, like I was involved with ex cult stuff for uh, a, a good while, and then eventually I let that stuff go too because I felt like that was the final step of me kind of mm. recovering. Yeah. Um, 
and like her getting involved with the women against pornography and then kind of seeing the folly of like that extremist take and now she's like trying to just live a good life for herself i feel like maybe okay. you know I, and i don't know because that's the thing it's like you know what is your obligation to a community that you got out of like what is you know are you do you have to like uh, be in anti-porn causes your entire life do you have to advocate for sex workers until the day you die is that like are you not allowed to to have a happy life and i honestly i you know I, that's that's a moral question everyone's got to ask themselves but like it is nice to see her maybe trying to shoot for something where she can have a normal kind of happy life um but i don't yeah, know like I, I mean i want that for her i just yeah i don't know it seemed oddly out of place in this episode. It's, it's like him yeah it's like i they're trying they're they're trying to do a lot in this last season yeah and i think that this is one of those potential trajectories these women can take sure you know um like, like, like is she going to be like the bubbles of this story where but i feel like we've seen this before right like we've yeah. seen uh uh darlene is darlene she yeah the, the woman who's trying to become a nurse but like every so i'm, I'm thinking like all the women we've seen escape the deuce and like then they've wound up murdered they've wound up like darlene is like she's hitting this glass ceiling because of her experience like as melissa kind of and eileen you know she smashed through that glass ceiling into stratosphere we know how rare that is is like melissa kind mm -hmm. of like uh like an average case a best case kind of like you know like a more normal non-disastrous after porn career yeah could be but yeah it's 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 a it's a one bullet point in a very busy episode <laughs> yeah uh we do have a piece of feedback which you can send into tv at baldmove.com brian l says wondered if you guys or you wondered if anyone is keeping track of porn stars today after they age out of the industry there's a series of documentaries on netflix called after porn ends where they check in with male and female porn stars who made it big at one time and what they're up to now it kind of runs the gamut of people who live totally normal lives to people having a hard time now to people who are still in porn in some capacity, like being behind the camera or hosting a sex talk show on satellite radio. Anyway, mm. I found it interesting and I thought I'd share it with y'all and the fans of the deuce. Interestingly enough, I saw after porn ends too. <laughs> I saw the sequel because it was on Netflix and it was like, it, it popped up and, and I, I had like, exactly 40 i think it was like an hour and a half and i had exactly that much time and it, like lisa ann was on the cover um a porn star of some some note in the last mm -hmm. few years and i'm like fuck it play and i really enjoyed it this was like two or three years ago but i'm i'm also when i was reading brian's email i was thinking about that through the lens of like what what eileen was talking about about a voyeuristic experience or whether and i'm like after porn in seems much more mm -hmm. like the looking through the keyhole than you actually being with people. Yeah. You know, cause it's kind of like, Oh, this person's successful and this person got AIDS and is dying. And this per it was, it was kind of like just gawking at these adult stars. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know. I, it's interesting because this season is also, um, I feel like when I first saw cowspiracy, this documentary that really started having me evaluate like how I felt about eating meat and like this season of the wires doing this to me with pornography <laughs> because like I was like, Oh no, I came in. The, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, no, uh, 43 years. Am I have to kick if I have to go? Cold turkey. Cow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Meat and porn. 
It's the pillars of my masculine identity. <laughs> but but seriously, because I I went into series thinking like, oh, well, the salvation of porn is going to be like more female producers and more feminist porn. And also like, look at all the amateur sites like Minivids and, you know, the, the amateur section of Pornhub where people are like, you know, doing stuff of their own volition and... But then as this I, I was as I'm watching this season, like I've noticed something like these. Yeah, like even women are producing this stuff for themselves. Like there's still another boss in the room, which is the free market. Mm-hmm. And like when I'm looking at the the front page of some of these sites, maybe they're just a lot of women and having three foot just genuinely and having three foot dildos shoved down their throats until their like neck is literally bulging. And maybe there's women they're in like drinking gallons of piss. I don't think there's this many women into it. So <laughs> okay. why the fuck are they doing it, Jim? Are they doing it because they love it? Uh, are they doing it because that's what's paying the bills? I don't know. I I also don't know why people watch that. Frankly, oh, like I'm because, not a because fan. Because men, men want and will pay for it. That's that's right. So so like I I I feel like I'm mind fucking myself because there's no like so. And the far left, they have this phrase they like to trot out called, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Mm. And what they mean by that is kind of like, you know, when, like, when, remember it's like edgy when, like, Louis C.K. said, like, five or six years ago, you guys, uh, you know, we're all progressive in this country, but we all use iPhones and are essentially made by child slaves in, in, in China or India or whatever. Mm. And we're all like, haha, that's funny, we're in denial. But everyone's still using smartphones. Mm. Like... Because, you know, if you made, I don't know, if you if you made a smartphone in America with American labor, it costs five grand and who's going to do that? I feel the same thing about porn is that, you know, like there is no way to ethically consume this because the market itself is perverting the shit, you mm-hmm. know, and making people do things they don't want to do and probably don't feel good about. Or I don't know, maybe I'm overly morally reacting to this. It's just David Simon's fucking up with my politics again. It's point blank period what I'm saying. I think that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, no ethical porn consumption under current capitalism. So, hmm, what am I going to do? I don't know, man. I guess you'll have to text find, erotica. Find another hobby. Text erotica? Yeah. Erotic no, virtual, fan fiction? Virtual porn. Virtual porn. Yeah, like no no real humans were involved in the making of this porn. Yeah. Dig- yeah. All digital get, characters. Get Carrie Fisher and Peter Cushing. <laughs> because no, uh, no, no, we have highly no. detailed realistic models of them and have uh-huh. them smashed there's no and then, no one being and, exploited there and the dude and we can get <laughs> oh maybe robert downey jr after this yes next one. yeah yes we have a we have a we have a whole library of models that we can and with use deep for that. fakes we're about to be to the point where we don't even need porn actors mm. we'll just we'll just i don't know figure so it out they'll, they'll, just, they'll be millions of porn actors out of work out on the street yeah Automation will replace them, Jim. I'm not. I'm not feeling good about this either. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, maybe we'll figure it out in the next two weeks. Uh, send in your feedback to TV at ballmove.com if you'd like. Uh, we will be here next week to discuss the final episodes of the Deuce. And until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See you.